Private Lender Podcast, Episode 102. The Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Eleanor Roosevelt, who said, It takes as much energy to wish as it does to plan. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. How you doing out there, Lender Nation? Greetings and welcome to the Private Lender Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Baker, and you're listening to episode number 102. This podcast is the only one of its kind, created and dedicated to teaching everyday people just like you and me how to prosper with the most passive form of real estate investing known to humankind, private lending, while also giving tips and ideas that can help keep your money safe. Look, it's just as simple. If you're looking for practical tips and advice on being a successful private lender, then you're in the right place. But if you want to learn from my mistakes so that you can avoid them and prosper much quicker, well then pull up a chair and take notes, my friend, because this podcast is made just for you. As I record this episode, it is late April in the year 2020, and the global death toll from COVID-19 has crossed more than 200,000 lives lost. I hope you stay safe. I hope you stay sane. And no matter how crazy things get, it's up to us to choose to stay positive and to create our future, whatever that will come to look like. Let's keep our eyes on the prize. Our present is uncertain, but the future is up to us to create. So today's topic is appraisals and the nine questions you need to ask your any potential appraiser if you're going to add them to your team. Remember, as the lender, you choose the appraiser, but the borrower pays their fees, so it doesn't cost you any money. So I go over, really roughly go over the three types of appraisals, the different approaches, which one we'll use for single family, the two that I use myself, but the one that is the single family standard. And then we'll get into some questions. This is a part one. Part two next week, I'll go over the actual form from Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae that you get, you most likely have if, when you bought your house. So even if you're not an investor. So I have a question and it is to all the real estate investors out there and homeowners, but have you ever had a purchase or a deal killed because the appraisal came back too low and the bank wouldn't fund the loan? It happens all the time, especially in volatile markets. And it is frustrating to say the least. I have a friend who's selling his personal residence. So it's not a real estate deal, so to speak, but it's just a normal retail sale. And it was killed because the appraisal came back lower than what the bank was comfortable with. And that's where I want to get to this. Banks aren't in the business of valuing or evaluating the value of properties. So they hire out a third-party expert, a professional to do it for them. And then they use that to make their lending decisions and their and base their criteria and their terms. As a private lender, it's no different. You want to seek the unbiased opinion from a third party on the market value of a property and base your lending decision in terms off of that. So it's critical. It's the keystone number for a deal is what is that after-repaired ARV? What is the value now? What is a realistic after-repaired value in the future for a retail sale? Or even if it's a rental, it's still all... All my criteria and decisions are based off of that number that I come up with or what that appraisal gives me, I should say. Uh, I do my own. I, I look through the comps, but it is nice not to have to do that and just to have somebody else who does it for a living do it. Gives me the report. It takes me just a few minutes to read through it and decide yes or no, which way I'm going to go on that particular loan. 
So now it's time to get down and dirty. Let's look at there are three types of appraisals that you'll see on the Uniform Residential Appraisal Report. This is Freddie Mac Form 70, also Freddie May Form 1004. And the last approach that is used, they give it all of two lines in the entire report is for the income approach. And what that is, is you don't look at cost of a building or any sales around it. You look at the value of the building from how much money can it generate, how much revenue and how much rent money and other streams, how much can that, as a business, how much can that property bring in? And oftentimes commercial real estate is based upon just that, is what type of income one could expect that property to produce. We don't see it with single family houses for several reasons. Basically, if you just do the numbers the way they do them with take the income or the net operating income and the value to come up with cap rates, the numbers just don't work to judge a single family residence with the income income approach. But I figure since it's on the form, let's go ahead and talk about it. The second to last approach is the cost approach. And that is simply what would it cost? What's an estimate to re- if something happened, hurricane, tornado, fire comes through and demolishes the building? Would it cost to rebuild that building to a condition that existed right before the event? Right. That's an insurance way of looking at it. And as an insurance adjuster for my day job, I rely heavily on an, on cost estimates on what to repair, especially when it comes to like personal property or equipment, industrial equipment. What's the cost to repair or replace? is normally the value of that particular piece of equipment. So, But since we're talking about properties, we're talking about houses, real estate, I want to know if I can rebuild the house for 100000 but the comps or the sales is going to be more than that. The market value would be more than that. So let's say if I have a house that I want to loan on, say 100000 but it would cost 120 to rebuild it or 150 to rebuild it, that's a consideration later on down the road with the insurances when it comes to closing and what you're going to require. So it's important, I think, from a doom and gloom perspective and a devil's advocate and to keep my money safe perspective, I think the cost approach is very helpful. But of course, the last type of approach is the comparable sales approach, which is the gold standard of the appraisal industry and the real estate industry, because the entire page two of the Uniform Residential Appraisal Report is dedicated to three comparable sales and the subject property. So there'll be four properties listed then there's a reconciliation is where how the math adds up to get the appraisal value for that particular property. And like I said, the comparable sales model is the gold standard. That's what everybody goes off of. And again, they dedicate the entire page. I didn't just say that again. I just did that, didn't I? I, see, I, just, I hit pause and I just repeated myself. That means I'm getting old. Okay. Noted. Thank you. Moving right along. Let's get into, now that we've talked about those three, those are the three types of approaches the heaviest weighted comparable sales. I like cost as well. But let's get into what questions you're going to ask that little bugger when you put them on your team, that appraiser. And these are nine that I've put together for kind of the bullet points that I want to know about when I'm hiring. You know, I'm an ageist. I like gray hair. I like people who've been out there doing it for a while and have a very good feel and comfort for what it is they do. However, that's not to say that there aren't good young appraisers. So, you know, not to blow anybody out of the water, but take that for what it's worth. The first question I like to ask is a silly one is, are you licensed or certified in the state where this particular property is going to be located or is located, I should say? Obviously, you want them above board, suited and booted, so to speak, and ready and able to do business in that state or your state. Second question, have any complaints been filed against you or your company? Have you been disciplined by the state realty board or any other commission? 
If so, and why? And then you always ask for their state number, license number, because you can go back to your state website, check it out, and verify that they're telling the truth or maybe they're lying. It's a good place to start, a little bit of background check. Just look at the number, the license number, and run it up the flagpole, see what they've see that they have been successfully safe and not getting in trouble with the state. Number three, what is your fee? Very important to know because you're going to have to put that on your loan app. So if they want 350, make it 350. If you want to make money off of it, that's up to you, but then the borrower has to pay you. I like things neat and clean. There's no paper trail from the borrower to me to the appraiser. So I prefer, or inspectors, anyone who's coming out on behalf of myself or the investor, then I want the fees to go straight to them. It's just easier and cleaner. My personal preference. Question number four, how many appraisals have you performed? Again, this is why I like people with lots of gray hair and have been doing it for a long time. That gives me a certain level of comfort. But that's not to say that someone in their early 30s hasn't done several thousand already and has a very good handle on what they're doing. It's just a starter question. See how they respond. All right. See how if they're confident with themselves or if they're not, that can make or break it right there for me. So that's why number four is in there, which leads to question number five. How many appraisals have you performed in this particular area of the subject property? Maybe the subdivision, maybe not that specific, but at least that part of town. I like appraisers that have a pretty wide net of business that they'll do, but I also like to know that they've seen some transactions in that neighborhood or close to it. Makes me feel a little more comfortable. And number six is probably my favorite of all. Are you yourself an investor, Mr. or Ms. Appraiser? If so, what's your experience? Are you a flipper, landlord, now lease options, whatever. If they do invest in real estate, I'd like to know what their background comes from because it can help me determine if somebody leans too hard towards being a landlord, then I know I'm going to be safe from that perspective. If someone's a rehabber, I feel better that if I'm going into a rehab, they can provide me some more input maybe that I don't have from the borrower. So that's what I like. Are they investors? They don't have to be, but it does make me feel, it gives me a warm and fuzzy. How about that? Let's just say that. Okay. It's one of the criteria that I like to look for. I like to look for people who are putting their money where their mouth is. Let me just say it like that. Okay. Question number seven, on whose behalf do you perform the bulk of your appraisals? Are they the big banks? And when I say big banks, I mean like your Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, big retail banks, or be what I call mortgage brokers or small banks, where there's you know lending tree, for example. They just match people with uh, mortgage brokers. That's it. Just a lead gen type of thing. But those mortgage brokers you don't normally sell those loans off into the big banks, but it just gives me an idea where their split is because C, option C is how many real estate investors do they do appraisals for? And D, who else? If it's not a big bank, a mortgage broker, a retailer, or a real estate investor, who do they do their, the bulk of their appraisals for? just to find out more than anything else. I don't put any weight on the other necessarily, but it's interesting for me to know. Just one of those things. We're getting close, man. Question number eight, how long will the process take from the moment we have a contract and the borrower pays the fee for the appraiser? How long is it going to take him to go out to the property, inspect it, come back to his office, pull the comps and put together his appraisal report? When can I have it in my hand to make my decision, my lending decision? Normally, appraisers are just a few days. Normally, it's pretty quick. They're kind of like property inspectors. They tend to get in and get out. The longer they spend on the project, the less per hour they make, so to speak. So, But it's good for me to know so that if somebody's really hammering me, oh, I need to close fast, I need to close fast, which is a red flag. Okay, <laughs> Just ask a landlord who let someone in and they had to move in right away, right away, and they needed someplace right away. And then it took them months to get them out. So I treat that as a red flag if they have to close right away. And look, things do happen. 
people back out, all that stuff, but their due diligence should already be done at that point. So you can step in rather quickly. But back to the question, on average, how long does it take? Because I just need to know that so I can set expectations, mine and the borrower's. And the final question is uh, goes back to kind of the first one. I already know the answer, but I want to know what database they use to create the appraisal. I'm assuming it's going to be the local MLS, multiple listing service. Here in the Houston area, that is HAR.com, Houston Area Realtors. But that may not be the case, and I don't know where everybody may or may not be lending in the parts of the country. MLS is the gold standard, so if you're not using that information, I'd like to know why. Now, it could be this property is extremely niche. There could be very valid reasons why they're not using the MLS in order to come up with an appraisal of a property, but you want to know those reasons. So if they're not going to use the MLS, question them, ask them why, and ask them to kind of walk you down that road so that you understand just exactly how that is coming together, that appraisal is coming together. And that's going to wind it down. Wow, that was pretty quick. So to recap, the three different appraisal approaches or methods are the income approach, predominantly for commercial buildings. Cost approach feeds my morbid curiosity as an insurance adjuster. And three, the comparable sales approach, which is the gold standard and by which all pretty much all residential appraisals are based upon. And then the nine questions you need to ask your potential appraiser, whether or not they're licensed, have any complaints filed against them, what their fees are, how many appraisals have they performed, any near the subject property, whether or not they're an investor, who they do their, most of their work for, the bulk of their work, where does it come from, big banks, mortgage lenders, I mean, mortgage brokers, et cetera. How long will the whole process take for you to have a report in your hand? On average, what database will they be using to create the appraisal? If it's not the MLS, you want to know why and get lots of extra support documentation just to be safe. That's going to wrap it up for episode 102. I want to thank you for sharing your time with me today. I do appreciate it. And this is the part where I grovel with you. I ask you to go leave an honest rating and review over at iTunes, Google Podcast, or whatever platform you use to listen to this podcast, this show. And keep a lookout for more episodes of Ask a Private Lender to pop up here and there on Facebook Live and other channels in the coming weeks. I think I'm finally getting the hang of this corona thing and kids being home all the time and then work continuing. And so I'm going to try to get become more active out in the social world and talk private lending more and more hopefully in the coming weeks and as we go into the summer of 2020. So with that, I bid you adios. Y'all stay safe, take care, and besides self-awareness, I wish you safe and prosperous private lending. I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.